Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas who get such a shit shot next Saturday evening that we'd put them back in their houses for 10 years. All right, lads, I want to start with the Dublin debate on the Sunday game last night. I just watched that here this morning. Uh, obviously, two very disappointing semi-finals, very one-sided semi-finals. We'll get to them um, in part two. Number one, I want to give the Sunday game some credit for having the debate. Um, and that's probably where the positives end. Um, <laughs> I, thought it, I, th- I thought it was an absolutely awful, awful debate. It was all over the place. You know, Des couldn't control it at all. We have a situation where Pat Gilroy, who's a very clever man, come out with some really, really silly stuff. Um, Andy McEntee completely compromised with being a current manager. You know, like saying stuff like, I don't think like I don't think any of my players would like to see Dublin broken up. Like, I mean, that's completely irrelevant to any debate and why Andy was chosen when he is compromised a little bit and doesn't want to come out, you know, sounding defeatist. Why is he being chosen to debate Pat Gilroy? Like, I mean, surely there's somebody uh, better, better than that. Like, I mean, Pat Gilroy told us uh, we're being racist against Leitrim. He told us that Kerry and Cork could join up. He said Monaghan and Cavan are natural fits. Um, and then he said the one which really annoys me and it's one that like supporters that don't really follow this very closely always come up with. Why didn't we have a conversation when Kerry and Kilkenny were dominating like that old chestnut and that old chestnut went completely unchallenged by Des. Um, we've, I don't want to be disrespectful anymore to Des. I think everybody knows, uh, you know, what, what Des is like on that show. Like Kerry and Dublin didn't receive disproportionate funding from the GEA. You know, they weren't identified as having needed that extra leg up and then went on to dominate. They didn't play all their home games in the national stadium and they don't completely dwarf every other county regarding population. So I just how that just went there. I almost I don't know, Conan, Andy McEntee seems stumped by this one. That was the frustrating thing. Like I get what you're saying about Andy McEntee, he's a current manager, so like yeah, obviously he's compromised, but like Pat Gilroy said, and why have Kilkenny won? And and Andy McEntee said, I I, I don't know. <laughs> it's like Andy, come on! Like he, he should surely he did some sort of preparation coming onto this. It was a it's a little bit disappointing. Like they could have had somebody there to just point that out exactly. Like Kilkenny won like without all that funding, and like there's so much evidence to show that this uh this thing is just morphing into a monster at all levels. Because the, the other thing we hear about is uh you know the seat that's only the senior football team, for example. I saw Liam Henfrey from Derry. It's, it's, 
duo player in Derry put out a great uh, bit of information. He said when he was playing with Derry in the mid noughties, they were playing Dublin in the league, and now Dublin are a regular senior one team and obviously pushing on at all levels. So you know this thing is 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 going out of control a little bit. And yes, we have all that funding as well. They talk about so it was disappointing that Andy didn't pick it up, or Des obviously wasn't going to do it either. So it was a, it was a shit show all around. I thought. Yeah, it was just it just kept going from one thing to another thing, and nothing really getting you know, you're not going to fix it, but nothing really you know being debated as such. And like I was surprised at how animated and everything Pat Gilroy kind of came across. Like he made one good point um, in that he said, "Let's diagnose the problem first, right?" And he tried to say that. Of course, Des doesn't want to pick up on that and say, "What is the problem?" You know, that's just kind of it. Just was it was a disaster from start to finish. But let's uh, diagnose the problem here, lads. And there isn't one problem. There's a whole load of problems, right? There's Dublin's population advantage. There's the amateur county boards in other counties. Like, would you trust them with more games development money? Like, I know in in Leash, Craig Rogers and Connor Boyle, two Leash seniors went for games development roles and didn't get them. And some fella who'd never played, you know, a county who might have had a connection to the county board got it. Like, that's a huge problem in itself. What about Dublin using Croke Park as their home ground? How, when's that going to be fixed? What about the, the complete disinterest of the GEA in fixing these obvious, uh, obvious issues? And you can talk about Dublin's population being an, an advantage to them and a disadvantage to the rest of the country. But then you hear Pat Gilroy last night, Keane, saying Swords has a population of 100,000. Um, There's three clubs. They can't cope. They can't get enough playing. They have too many there in three clubs and that they're not serving the people and they need more resources to help. Like, I mean, there are so many issues to be fixed here, Keen. It's very difficult to have one debate because last night nobody really knew what the debate was. Yeah, well, that's it. Well, last night wasn't a debate. It was it was a, a round-the-houses conversation, as if similar to what happened a few weeks ago, Woody, when you just randomly asked me a question about the Leinster Championship and is it dead? People then <laughs> have, have to think on the spot, and they don't... Look, there was no... There didn't seem to be any real thought gone into um, identifying what the key issues were or identifying any solutions to them. I mean, look, I the way I see it is that there are large parts of Dublin where there aren't enough clubs, and there are large parts of rural Ireland where there are too many clubs, if that makes sense, because they don't have the playing numbers. You know, I can look at my yeah. own club, which and like I can speak from kind of first hand experience here because, you know, my the club I play with was an amalgamation of two clubs who were probably knocking lumps out of each other for years. And then it took, gener- you know, a couple of generations for that to, to gel. But if. If the two clubs hadn't been amalgamated, we would not be a senior championship team in Mead. I wouldn't have had any probably success at club level. I wouldn't have any have had any platform to perform at a good level. So, you know, I can I can completely empathise with, you know, the the, the underdogs in this scenario. Like you come from a different place, Willie, and that you're from the town team in Port Leash, and there's only one club. You know, I think there's only one club in Port Leash. Maybe there's another one on the outskirts, but there needs there probably is a requirement for more clubs even in Port Leash. So Dublin is just a reflection of, and it happens across the country. There are some zones where, it, you know, the, the old parish rule, you know, at this stage for a modern um, association, it's sort of not relevant. I mean, it doesn't work. So if you're trying to have a, a, a really, I suppose, uh, the inter-county game is benchmark. It's, it's, it's the one that captures the most audience. But having that based on county lines, it doesn't work. Like, I mean, you can never have a fair 
you know, a level playing field. Like, that's never going to happen unless you can do away with all of that. And that's what kind of Pat Kennedy was saying. He's saying, well, like, what, what is, you know, the key thing is, what is the problem? What do people want? Like, in my mind, club game is what it is. Everybody accepts that you're from a small club and you can do whatever. And I think Kerry have brilliant approach to it and having the divisional teams so that every player who has, no matter where you're born, you have an opportunity to play at senior club level within your county and you're given a platform there through their divisional teams. But if yeah. you're, if you're but not, born in the wrong county, well, you have no chance. Yeah. So to be fair to everybody, like you have to look at the whole county system at the elite level is gone. So the question is, does GAA want to have a professional game at the elite level? And if they want to have a professional game at the elite level, then they have to devise a strategy where they have franchise systems or whatever. But the county thing is dead. It's dead, it's gone, it's completely defunct, and it's not going to come back. You can throw as much funding as you want into any of these counties. It doesn't matter. It's gone, it's shot. It's never going to be an appropriate competition for all the stakeholders. So Gilroy is right in what he's saying. And you have to look at trends in population. You have to look at the urbanization. of the. You have to look at all of these factors. And as an association... The GA have to say, well, what is the ethos of the association? Like, what do they want? Like, what do we actually want as GA people? Do we want an elite level competition that is an actual competition? Um, and that's played at a really high level. And the elite of the elite within the country can perform at that level. And that's the entertainment barometer. And then below that, you obviously continue to have club system and all of these things delved right into the communities and all of that sort of stuff, like the really good stuff that are, that's involved with the GA. But like, yeah. you have volunteers in all of these county boards. You cannot fix the problem by throwing money at. Money helps, but it's the expertise that's going to um, help them put things in place. And that has to be done from a central level. But I'm sorry, it doesn't matter what you do. If you, if you, you can do whatever you want, but you're never going to have... Um, a, a viable competition where there's more than a few counties that compete. And at the minute, there's only one county competing. That's it. Yeah. No, like, I mean, there's two ways of looking at this, right? And you, I suppose, and Pat Gilroy was right in that he was open to Dublin being split as long as the rest of the country were open to maybe ripping up the script from their behalf. So, like, I mean, you can't try and pressure Dublin into splitting into four or five or whatever it is and saying absolutely Leash will never join up with Offaly that's out of question because that is not going to be a solution for everybody right so like I mean I do take your point the, the, the point I would make about splitting Dublin up is that that increases participation because it gives more players a chance to play at inter-county level and they touched on that last night there's so many players in Dublin that will never get to play inter-county football the amalgamation leave Dublin as their own and the amalgamation decreases players' chances at playing at the top level you know two from Leitrim might what about all the rest of the other poor 28 you know chaps what about all the players in Leash when they join up with Offaly you're actually reducing participation at the highest level by amalgamating counties and and leaving Dublin as they are but that is the nature of top level elite level sport like that because that's the fundamental question here I think do we want to continue to strive to have the, the most elite level game being played there possible like because if you if you want that, then you have to accept that it's not for everybody. And the game for everybody, the everyman's game, is going to be the club game. Like right. this, like to me, I mean, we're we're talking about something. It's gone. Like Dublin inter county setup, they are gone to that level. 
And so the only way you can bring the you can't really bring them back. The only way to bring them back is, as he says, bring in rules that are completely anti-Dublin, which I don't think anybody really wants to see that. What everybody wants is a viable competition, right? So how do you promote that or how do you get it? Like Dublin are gone so far ahead of everybody, but they're not going to be caught because they have all of they have all of the population advantages that well documented and discussed. And they now have just complete brain drain like if you look at it it's second and third generation uh players there they're, they're not not say sorry they're not second or third generation dubs that are playing for dublin a lot of the time they're the sons of people uh coming up from the countryside who are yeah. steeped in ga ethos and have, you know and that has contributed to like it's it's a perfect storm as far as dublin is concerned and i think that we're, we're kind of to talk about dublin is maybe the wrong team because dublin are doing probably lots of things really, really well. And they have just such a, an exceptional pick of players that they're going to continue to develop these top-class players and athletes. And the rest of the country just is, is always going to struggle to compete with that. So, you know, talk about breaking up of Dublin. Yeah, that's one factor because, as you say, the more, the more say, elite-level teams that there are in Dublin, the more platform there is for uh, a wider array, a wider number of people form at that level but we have to establish what well, what is the elite level game what does that look like that looked like eight teams split across the country maybe two or three because it doesn't matter where they are because they're going to end up being professional teams of professional players and then it's what does the system look like below that and like that is the serious discussion that needs to be had strategically at G- within the GAA because if we're talking about oh yeah just give a little bit of uh, development money there to Mead or give it to Kildare or give it to Leash it doesn't work because not people there are not sufficiently don't have the sufficient expertise to organise the thing properly to get best bang for their buck and really yeah. what's the point in all this money being pumped into the county teams it's a joke like it should be fed back down into club teams within the counties poach all of the like that's what it's about it's about getting participation and giving that level of expertise to all of the club players in all of these counties and the how you deal with the elite level of the game is a completely separate discussion that they're not the same thing and like yeah like kind of marrying uh, the, the game's development funding to the current dublin senior team there's a, like they're not one and the same. Like you don't just pump a load of money in to under six uh, players at leash, and all of a sudden they turn into Dublin in fifteen years. Like that doesn't work like that. No. So, like, I mean, Conan, is this something you could get behind then? So, what Keen is suggesting, the club game dominates the year. Right. So, like, I mean, you're talking about the club championships starting. I'm just throwing this off the top of my head. Starting in, starting in, say May, and finishing out for the rest of the year. But in or no, say starting in June, but in April and May, we play this conference intercounty kind of showcase thing where, you know, you've got Dublin versus seven other conferences and they play each other on a league basis and the top two go into some or or even a cup, even like quarterfinal, semifinal, final. And that is the very, very elite of the game and their conferences and the rest of the country, the rest of the players in the country. If you can't make the elite of the elite, you're playing club football and that's promoted that is given way more importance and that is the whole basis of your your year is club football but we have this two months of you know I don't know it's like a little novelty thing who you know who can win the conference for or the All-Ireland Conference final I mean you have to think though about how that's going to end up affecting club football and again I know we're we're spitfire or spitballing off the top of our heads here but like if if you suddenly take away all the county teams like you know the, the club 
the club system and the whole point for a lot of people playing becomes a bit more redundant. Like, you know, there's only eight teams now at the top. And as you say, there are less opportunities for players to play. You know, I, I, somebody might turn around and say to me, well, like, you know, it's not great playing for Longford anyway. Like, I, I'm, I'm from Derry, a Division 3 team who were Division 4 the year before. And, like, it's still, like, everything designed in Derry is designed around trying to make Derry football better. Do you know what I mean? Like, so... Uh, that's but okay. That's, we might need to, we might need to break from that. Yeah, but that's fundamentally flawed. Like, I mean, what I'm talking, what I'm, what I'm, I'm not suggesting this. I'm just asking the question: Is if you had eight professional GAA teams or in the country, or sixteen, or whatever it is, and they're full-time professional athletes? I mean, becoming a full-time professional athlete is not for everybody. Like, that's just the reality. And the, the people you wouldn't game, you wouldn't play a club, is that it? Yeah, exactly. You're gone. You don't play with your club anymore. The people's game is the club game. That's it. And if that yeah, requires I think it's stronger, plural amalgamations and stuff like that, well, so be it down the line. Because that's what happens in most... Like, if you look at how Kerry run their championship, every single player in Kerry has an opportunity to play at the highest possible level in Kerry. Okay? And the elite of the elite play with the Kerry senior football team. But not everybody gets to play for Kerry. In yeah, the same the, way, not everybody gets to play professional. The club like game is off the back of that, though, because like everybody, everything is feeding into that system. Like once you take that that away from the top of it, then I think that that eventually starts trickling down into the club system where it's not all geared towards the one direction. Like I know what you're saying. I'm not. I'm not completely against it. But the reason I think it's okay to to target Dublin in this sense, like what you're saying, will you say like split up Dublin and you create more teams? Because I'm thinking about Colin Baskell there, for example, who was lighting up for Dublin at the start of the year off the back of being the best player in the club championship last year. Now he's watching because fucking Paul Mannion and Brian Howard and Cormac Costello were the attacking subs for Dublin. So Colin Baskell, who would be one of the best players in every other county, is just watching. But the reason it's okay to target Dublin is because the money is going into Dublin. And like the, the question comes, do you think that's okay? And I, like I do because of the population. Like, you know, you have to, like the GA's yeah. main aim is to get more people playing. And then like the byproduct of this now is this, this monster. So then they have to think about that. But if you still think it's okay to keep pumping money in where a quarter of the country is, then that's good. But then you have to sort of react to that then. Yeah, so that's the, that's the whole thing. And, and just, just to finish up on this, is obviously like pumping that money. I think, personally, I think it's easier to split Dublin than do some mad thing to the rest of the country. And, you know, like like what Keane's suggesting, I think the first thing should be looked at is to split up Dublin and see how the championship works with that. We have an A versus uh, an A championship, a B championship. You know, you'll have more competitive teams in both. At their level, I think there's a whole lot of issues with county boards that needs fixing, which is another one. And I, 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 I think it's a little bit depressing that, you know, at central level, they don't want to fix the amateur hour that is county boards. And it, without those being fixed, the other counties won't get up. I think I think splitting Dublin is an easier fix than creating conferences. That's what I think, because there is a, there is that whole participation issue with the conferences. You, it's less comp- participation at the highest level. I take Keane's point with the club. I definitely think it's worth having a chat about. And I do think Pat Gilroy's right is in saying, what are we going to look like in, in 2050? And what's the GEA going to look like? And I don't think they ever look ahead like that. You know, like Pat Gilroy talked about urbanisation and Des had to confirm that that means Dublin's population is going to get bigger just so nobody at home really knew what, what he was talking about there. I think it's very messy. I think there's no easy fix. And I think diagnosing the problem 
is 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 too simplistic because there's lo- there are loads of problems that are feeding into each other. Anyways, I spoke to Tom Ryan, who's the director general of the GEA, and I spoke to him about all these issues. You can look this up on on the podcast. It was from a year ago. Dublin were going for five in a row, and here's a clip from that. When you look at where the the income is generated in in the round in the totality where it comes from, like Dublin is a significant funder of the association as a whole. So a lot of the funds that are going to all of the other counties, they're actually... They're ah, but that's just a geographical, you know, yeah, anomaly. Well, well, and that's, you're, that's you're, not... Well, but it, it's almost like you've got the golden handcuffs yeah. on with Dublin. They have you over a barrel because they're so well supported and they almost do fund the GA in a lot of ways. Um, there's no getting away from that, like, to be honest. So, and it's an important thing to say that, you know, actually when people talk about all of the money that... Dublin get. They get a, a substantial amount under the category that you're talking about. There's all manner of other things that other counties do better out, out of than, than Dublin when you talk about capital and you talk about you know, pitches and things like that. And also when you look at who who contributes into the thing, like really all, all it is is a kind of a, a very basic, simple kind of a collective thing. And the only money we have is the money that comes in through the things you started talking about at the start, the commercial income or the gates. And the only thing we are charged with doing with it is putting it back into into Gaelic games. So if you look at who is a net kind of contributor to that little mix over time, there's, there's two or three counties that all the time are funding everybody else because unfortunately the nature of it is that there's an awful lot of counties that... That's just population just, though. Well, I, don't think that, yeah, I don't think you should be looking at that as regards, oh, well, they raise the most money so we're going to look after them better. No, I don't I, think no, that's, that, not, that's I don't, not how I don't, the GA is supposed to work. I don't mean it in that context. I mean it in the context of that there's, there, there isn't the, the extent of the perceived inequity that people might think that it's not Dublin are not sucking everything out of the thing they use the national stadium as their home ground like I mean they get more games development per registered player they dwarf everybody else they've won 13 of the last 14 Leinster titles they're going for 5 in a row like genuinely I I don't know how you haven't thought about what the potential damage could be if they win 10 senior All-Irelands in a row you, like you haven't thought that far ahead because you are accused sometimes of not having long-term strategies in place for things. So you haven't thought about well, the I, I, would, eventuality it, it would, of that it, happening. It, it would be, it would be a, a, a controversial and a, a dangerous strategy to outline to you here in terms of what <laughs> we're going to do to stop a particular county from winning a particular... Uh, it, it, poses it would be a, a disaster po- because like, if you look does, at the yeah. attendances of Leinster, Leinster yeah, that's, yeah. that's a disaster now, really. You know, they, they've gone through the floor. I wonder... The like, attendances. Yeah, um, how much of that, like, would you say, is... is down to clearly Dublin have improved and Dublin are playing at a level that that is unprecedented. But the, the next level of counties down below, your own included, they, they, they seem to have slipped away a bit. So, you know, there's an imperative on the Meads and the Leashes and the Kildares and Offaly's as well to kind of step up to yeah. that. So but here's my that, that gap has opened up yeah. in two ways. I, I, the, I game, the game has moved into a professional era, yeah. right? So county boards now are like mini football clubs in their own right. They're little businesses. They, they have to worry about their brands, their marketing, yeah. fundraising, their businesses. Yeah. They've got amateurs running them. People with no business background would just get voted in through politics, GEA politics, right? So Dublin's uh, structure, Mm. they have that same politics. They have a chairman voted in, but he doesn't run the business side. They have a CEO to do that. No other county can afford that CEO. I'm just wondering what your thoughts on this are. That if if, uh, the GEA 
put a CEO in every 32 county and use the structure Dublin have with business background that has a proven record of running businesses because that's what county boards are now. We're not in the dark ages of this being just land there and it all looks, see what we did last year and just continued on, which there is a culture of. It would cost, say, 100 grand a year. Would that be a going rate? I'm not sure. In and around that, it would be 3.2 million at a cost to the GA. I was reading in 2017 you had to pay there's 15 million to actually There's a few of them cost, already cost, Right but yeah. if, if you were to fund them right because a lot of mm. counties can't afford them there's, If you were to fund them There's about 20 of them already Colin. 20 yeah. full time CEOs running county yeah, boards Yeah there is yeah, yeah. Right, I wasn't yeah, aware of that Yeah there is yeah um, No, when you talk about no, like business backgrounds and so on you know, I, I can't attest to that but there are yeah there's about 20 full time. Yeah, so like there's some worrying kind of admissions from Tom Ryan there, Conan. Like, I mean, Dublin being a significant funder of the association. And I said to him, like, you have the golden handcuffs on with Dublin because they fund the association in a lot of ways. And he actually admitted there's no getting away from that. Like, I mean, you know, like it's it's just, it's, it's incredible. The GA need Dublin so much. And then you have the outrageous notion last night that John Costello offered his services to other Leinster counties. To help them. Like, Dublin don't govern the other counties. Like, I mean, this is just, uh, I, I just can't get my head around what's going on here. The, the GEA at central level unwilling to fix this problem and Dublin offering to fix the problem. Now, I saw some of you in McKenna's tweets this morning and he's saying Leinster counties are denying that. Now, I would say, of course, Leinster counties would deny that. Why would they admit that they didn't <laughs> take up that offer? I, I wouldn't, I don't know who to believe on that. But anyways, like, I don't know, Conan, you're talking about Tom Ryan saying there's no getting away from the fact that the GEA have have golden handcuffs on with Dublin. And then you have Dublin almost like the governing body offering to help other poor peasant Leinster counties. <laughs> and like the irony is if the GEA, for example, were to split Dublin, imagine even if it was north and south, like that helps the GEA. Like Dublin isn't going away and all the people and like, the clubs would strengthen off the back of that as well. There'd be an amazing rivalry there. Imagine North Dublin and South Dublin. Like it would be huge. You would have you would have more sellout games off the back of that. So that that fear is is really weird, and it, it almost reminded me of like just their reluctance to do anything. Reminded me of the Porrick Duffy interview that you did a few years before that, where yeah, he was talking about um, I think it was before the Super Eights came in, and you were like, "What? What is this about?" <laughs> you know, and he admitted that like Dublin playing two games at Crew Park, yeah, that gives him an advantage. You know, but he was saying there's nothing we're going to do about it because it's two games at Crew Park, basically. And then he said, "Look, you, you can't. You have to be realistic. You can't get rid of the provincial structures." And you're like, "Why not?" Like, but they're just so beholden to this old way of doing things. And for them, yeah. like the old way of doing things is Dublin helping them out with money. Yeah, Patrick Duffy and Tom Ryan. The two interviews I did with the, the last two director general generals. Tom Ryan is obviously the current one. Would not inspire you with any sort of confidence that any of these issues are fixed. None whatsoever. It's burying your head in the sand. I saw a tweet key and interesting from Kieran Flynn. He's the Mead County Board for three years, and he tweeted for the last three years. As Mead PRO, I've asked for a commercial manager to be employed. Unfortunately, on numerous occasions, I've been told to stop bringing it up. Like, yeah, I'm nearly laughing saying that, Keen. But like, this is what we're dealing with. Yeah, of course, and like, and that's why I I would hold the view that just throwing money at it doesn't solve the problem because, you know, you need the right level of expertise in the organisation to funnel that and make sure that you're getting, you know, the appropriate efficiency for it. And look, I mean, that's just a. It's a snapshot of the frustrations, I suppose, from a, a number of people across the board. In diff- and I'm sure it's the same process in every in different counties and in different clubs throughout the country. Um, but that's the nature of it when you have volunteerism. I mean, like high caliber people 
are generally quite busy with their occupations or with their family life, you know, that it's, yeah. it's very, you know, it's very difficult for them to give up the huge amount of time that it takes to be involved, you know, at, in that administration level within within clubs and within county boards. So it does need help from central level. It absolutely does. And what's kind of abundantly clear is that that help is probably, it's either being offered and not being offered strongly enough or or it's not being accepted and as as you've kind of already mentioned no everybody at this point in time is going to deny that they were offered help because <laughs> there's going to be arse covering and stuff going on so look it's disappointing there's huge a wide range of issues to you know discuss yeah. and we're talking about major structural change of potential options there and what would require you know buy-in from the public and different things like that and what do people actually want and then there's obviously current and which is really, I mean, that's the, that's the showcase for it all. And that's, I suppose, mainly what we're, what we're here to discuss. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I mean, just to finish up on this, let's, here's the, here's my solution, the easiest one. The number one is stop Dublin playing their league games in Crow Park. It's unfair. And it's a PR OG by everybody involved. And all it does is feed into this that they're being favoured. I would say I wouldn't, I wouldn't reduce Dublin's games development money at all. Because, again, we keep saying they need that. And if anything, if we're being honest with their population, they could be underfunded. Now, the GEA can't just kind of shit money. But at the same time, I don't wouldn't agree with that being cut at all. I don't think that's fair. I would agree with splitting Dublin into four. And I would agree with getting a CEO paid by the GEA into every county with an aim of them paying for themselves after three, you know, after three years, once they get the, the business side of every county board. And then you have your first 16 in an A championship, your last 16 in a B championship. And I think, you know, as a solution for now, I think that's a good place to start, you know, rather than something completely radical. But anyways, that's just that's just my uh, I thought you were a radical bully. <laughs> well, it's radical enough. Let's be honest. It is radical. I do take I take Dublin's I take for to a certain degree, I take. Dublin's uh, point of not wanting to be split but I have to be very very honest and hold my hands up here and I'm genuinely honest and there's a lot of Port Leash people that would be completely against this I completely agree with Port Leash being split they're dominating the Leash Championship it's a dead duck it's like the now it might be changing a little bit now and that's true um, you know Port Leash potentially not have been run brilliantly for a lot of years but Port Leash are the Dublin of Leash football and the Leash club championship was a joke for a long long time and if I have no problem if this came to a situation where Port Leash was split in two none whatsoever so like I mean I do, I, it's not me being I, I'm being consistent about this the Leinster championship and the all championship could become completely you know disastrous and splitting Dublin isn't the end of the world I don't think and I'm saying that based on the fact that I'm happy for Portlaoise to be split. But anyways, we'll, we'll leave it there, lads, and we'll come back and talk about the matches. Happiness hit like a train on a track. I don't really know Jimmy anymore. Me and him were like best friends when, when we played, you know. He's seen the light of Jesus and uh, I'm still like fighting the devil, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
Alright lads, so a crazy scoreline in this one. Mayo 520, Tipperary 313. I went to this thinking that this would be a closer game. I froze my balls off. Um, Conan, you were there on Saturday night. I'm sure you were freezing um, too. This game was completely over. Um, you know, it was over at half time. It got a little bit messier. Tipperary rallied really well um, in the last quarter and did really well on, on, on David Clark's kickouts, which is a huge worry for Mayo. But like I have to say, you know, the way Tipperary approached this game, Keen, I thought it was refreshing. They could have had three goals inside the first 10 minutes, which is any underdog um, wants to do. They went and attacked Mayo. And the one thing I will say, uh, based off both these performances with Tipperary and Cavan, and we'll start with Tipperary, Dublin will thank Tipperary. They will watch the video of that match and will, they will thank Tipperary for asking some serious questions of Mayo. Mayo won't thank Cavan one little bit. They'll be like, what can we learn from this? Yeah, look, and I think it's uh, it's one of those, uh, from a tactical perspective, um, there's not really much I would have changed really about Tipperary's approach to the game. Um, they created their chances early in the game and look, they just didn't take them. Quinlevin had a fantastic opportunity. He'll, be, he'll still wonder today how he missed that one. Um, Sweeney's won a little bit more difficult but again a player of his calibre gets that sort of an opportunity in an All-Ireland semi-final you kind of need to take them You'd have fancied it yeah Yeah you would have fancied it I'm sure he's you know when you see the finish he put in the second half I mean just sensational finish and very shot themselves in the foot it was their own unforced errors I mean they lost I think uh, David Power said that they they conceded three saves from turnovers in the first half I mean look that's why they lost the game Um, their tactical approach is that it's unforced errors it's basic fundamentals of the game and taking the ball into contact getting turned over poor decision making and that's a cost and you know they they were they were competitive with Mayo and they Tipperary having had such a huge deficit and such a I suppose when when you get that sort of a body blow even as a player on the pitch when you're going into a game expecting to be really competitive and they were for the for the first uh I suppose, 10 or 15 minutes of the game and they had opportunities and they were kind of probably kicking themselves about chances they missed and the first concession of the goal from a turnover in their own half-back line was killer stuff. But for them to kind of finish yeah. that down at half-time with the massive deficit, knowing it was gone and to just, I suppose, restore, definitely play with significant pride in the second half, I think they deserve credit for that. And look, they'll reflect back on the 15 or 20 minutes before half-time and just one, you mean, how, where did it? That's where it all went wrong for them, and they'll be disgusted with the errors they made. Yeah, no, well, that was it. Like, I mean, you couldn't fault their attacking game plan. They scored three thirteen. They could have had six more goals. Their first three, the two goal chances, and the goal all came from long diagonal balls. Like, even something as simple as Quinn Living getting the ball on the right and going. Do you know what I'll do? I'll just lob this across onto the edge of the six yard box, fifty fifty, because Connor Sweeney's much better and bigger than Chris Barrett. In contrast to Cavan, who had the similar advantage and never once decided to give it. But anyway, I won't get into that too much. But even tips set up, like, I mean, they had Quinn Living and Sweeney inside and they were being marked by Lee Keegan and Chris Barrett. And they had Coleman Kennedy holding the 45. It's almost exactly what we kind of discussed, Conan, here on the show. From an attacking point of view, someone trying to, you know, hold that 45 and being the initial kind of runner. Coleman Kennedy actually got a couple of good uh, fetches from kickouts earlier on and then the two danger men inside and the whole game plan, attacking game plan. Now we'll have to talk about the defensive game plan in a minute because it was desperate but their whole attacking game plan based around getting it in early to the two best players we have on our team. Doesn't this sound so logical, Colin? 
<laughs> yeah, it's almost like it works. Like you know, um, there was one stage Colin O'Reardon was coming down the right hand side, and he just just put it up and under. Like you know, it was almost like a he was still playing AFL. And Stephen O'Brien, oh, that was desp- that was that was fairness. That was, he had run out of ideas completely for that one. I wouldn't <laughs> but, compliment that. But like no, but like the the point of that is that Stephen O'Brien had also gotten forward there, so it wasn't just like you know just feeding like Quinn Living and Sweeney with anything. Like you know, let them work off whatever we give them. But O'Brien had gotten up, he caught it and put it over himself as well. So like there was just there, there was a good variation as well and look like Keane's talking about young forced errors my 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 first instinct was to criticize him like for being caught in the ball and you know, being caught so often and trying to work it out against that manic press that Mayo have but then I realized like that that's feeding into how they're playing so well as well like it's it's textbook stuff they're working out from the back getting it into an area where they will be better from kicking it for and then they were doing that you know but yeah like they just simply weren't allowed to do it all the time. Like you, you, you call it an unforced error, but I'd say like James Horn and the boys are calling it a forced error because yeah, they're a four. It was it was a four. Like the the Killian O'Connor goal just before half time. That came from you know incredible pressure being put on the Tipperary defence to the point where you know the Tipperary player had no options whatsoever and tries to give it back to the goalkeeper. I would say they're not necessarily unforced errors as forced errors. Well, uh, well, I don't know. Look, it's it's there, there's an element of both involved. I mean, look, there's there's Mayo will will claim that it's the pressure they put on the ball, and that's fair enough, and they deserve credit for doing that and aggressively pressing. But I mean. Like that pass across to the goalkeeper. I mean, he has 40 metres of space and he plays it to the only place where Killian O'Connor can get it. And then the goalkeeper doesn't actually go to the ball and attack it. So, I mean, like you can't, this is the all Ireland semi-final we're talking about. Those sort of mistakes shouldn't happen if, when you're playing at that level. And if they do, you end up with the scoreline that you end up with. So, like, you, yeah. you have to judge it against the highest possible standard when it gets to this stage. And that's not... To me, that's an unforced error because the kicker on the ball was absolutely no pressure on him and he was kicking it to an unmarked man and he put it to the only position where Killian O'Connor could get it. You wouldn't see a mistake like that at junior B club level in Mead. So, I mean, you, you can't, like, there are definitely elements where Mayo force Tipperary down certain avenues similar to the way Dublin do it and they get two and three bodies around the ball carrier and strip. And that's really good defensive play from, from the team that's attacking. Can't, they're not mutually exclusive. Like it's still bad play from the man on the ball because he has a tree. He can go anywhere he wants on the field. He doesn't have to run down the uh, run into the trap that's being set for him. So I think Mayo Mayo will be delighted with what they did in that sector of the game and that they, they won these turnovers. But Tipperary will at the same time be very disappointed in how they handle that. Yeah, no, it's well, I thought Killian O'Connor kind of lurked around disinterested and then pounced. Do you know what I mean? Maybe the kick past the goalkeeper looked on, but then Killian was kind of almost kind of, you know, teasing him into doing it. And then he did it. I do take, I do take that point. But like, I mean, the, the, the Mayo press is something to behold, uh, Connor. Like, I mean, you're looking at Lee Keegan and Chris Barrett left inside on the edge of the square, on Quinn Livin and Sweeney, and no player anywhere near. Like, remember we criticised him in the league game against Tyrone, against the win. This is exactly what you're dealing with. No one inside the 45 covering these two lads. There's a notion of space to be kicked in front of them if they want. And the reason Mayo don't drop anybody back in front of those two players is because that messes up their press. And their press is aggressive. Every man has a man. I remember one stage, um, Dermot O'Connor was trying to drop back into a covering position and he was being lynched on the sideline to get up and pick up pick up a man like this is not what they're about one player it takes to not press and for the whole press the amount of times Tipperary I take Keane's point but the amount of times Tipperary man had a man on the ball maybe he wasn't being tackled but there was a man in front of him and he scans the field and there is no man free you know what I mean like I mean Mayo 
played that kind of, I don't know, to, to compare it to Liverpool under Klopp, kind of heavy metal football. It's all out attack. And I love that philosophy. No, I, I love, I saw your tweet about that and I love the comparison. And I also like that, like, Keane's right. Like, say, Casey in the corner there, if his kick pass is better, then that's fine. If Comerford comes for the ball a bit harder, then he catches the ball. But, like, what I liked about that as well, and you're talking about Liverpool, was, like, what Liverpool are very good at, it's not just a press, it's, like, they decide how big the, of an area that they want to defend in. So, like, if you look at the angle, like, Aiden O'Shea, for starters, is in front of the keeper. You want your big man there. He's active, so he's scaring the keeper and he's distracting him. The keeper goes out to the corner. Conroy's coming over. But then the angle of Aiden O'Shea coming over is scaring, I think it was Kylie and Casey, and, and they don't want to come back inside because of the way O'Shea's closing them down. So they think they have to go long. Meanwhile, O'Connor, who's supposed to be in the other corner, like, that's your three full forwards. You're now only defending half of the width for the pitch. So, like... Mayo, like they were rampant, like it was relentless, but they were smart as well in the way they were pressing. And like, I do like, I think it's the most intensity that I've seen from a team so far. Like, you know, Dublin can obviously do it. They haven't, they haven't had it yet, but I'm struggling to think of a team who would find all those answers throughout 70 minutes against that, that level and that length of pressure that the Tipperary were subjected to. Yeah, there's no doubt it's difficult, Keane. You look at Tipperary played Limerick and they played Cork who were desperate tactically on the day. That Tipperary probably gasping for breath in that first half. Like, I mean, wondering, what are we supposed to do here? Usually in the modern game, you can actually solo at your ease around your own 45 and, and, and kick it across, you know, happily to somebody else that's free. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's the, the level that Mayo have been playing at for a number of years and Tipperary have sporadically been at that level. So I suppose it's it would be... It's to be expected that Mayo would have the additional level of conditioning and would be able to, I suppose, impose a higher tempo game on Tipperary. And that's what they needed to do. And they did it really, really well. And they they, they forced the mistakes from, from Tipperary and they put them under pressure and they put them into situations that made them uncomfortable. And Conan, uh, you know, pointed out brilliantly there. It's the way that they, they press only at times they, they, they condense the pitch the angle of what they do they use the side similar it's it's all similar to what Dublin do as well it's why their it's why their pressure is so good when they're out of possession they use the sideline as an extra man the angle of the of the second tackle body position they're always kind of setting traps for for the opposing team they want them to go a certain route and then when they go into that route into the when they push them the, the zone they want to go to then they have bodies there and they wrap them up and take the ball off them and they've huge physicality as well I mean like the big yeah. guys just were at times were able to blow the Tipperary lads out of the water in the same way that Dublin have continually done for years against pretty much everybody they play almost aside from Mayo. Yeah, no, there's definitely the physicality and when you meet that kind of contact that you're not able to get past that. Because, Conan, obviously it's a risky enough strategy. If you can get past the initial man that's tackling you, you know, you'll have to draw somebody to you and now you've got that overlap and you can get the whole way up the field. Getting past Mayo or Dublin in those situations isn't easy. You see him in front of you. Sometimes you get the, a, a, a crappy hand pass where you have no momentum. You're going from a standing position going... I'm not going to try and run past Kieran Kilkenny, you know, or Aidan O'Shea or or, or uh, Killian O'Connor with the strength of him this year and actually continue on up the field. Like, it's just not going to happen. Now you're going backwards and now they have you. And, and that's it's probably um, where Tipperary deserve a bit of credit. Because say the, like, the stark difference between them and Cavan was that it seemed like every time a Cavan player got the ball, he was pumping the bricks, except Kieran Brady. But you know, we're Tipperary, we're still trying to get forward, but then that's where Mayo deserve even more credit because although Tipperary were trying to play front foot football, they were trying to get out and, and kick the ball in when they could around halfway. Like they were just they were just being eaten up and it was non stop. And like as you you mentioned, like Barrett and Keegan, like 
that that can be a scary situation for a fullback when you've got all that space, but not when the pressure on the ball is that much and it's not being let yeah. out for the whole game. Well, well that's the thing. You're looking at risk reward, um, Keane, and obviously Keegan and Barrett were under a lot of pressure, but they got three six of having everybody on the press. Do you know what I mean? Now that could have been on another day you could have had Tipperary scoring those three goals and you're wondering, is that risk reward worth it? Yeah, well look at that's the nature that's the nature of sport. I mean you have to you have to go for it. You have to go for it like and they, they yeah. put they pushed hard, they pressed up, they want to get the ball back, give us the ball, we you know, and, and punish it. And it's much easier to get scores the higher up the field you turn over the ball. I mean that's everybody knows that. It's you know common sense. But you have to be very, very well organized in order to you know, turn the ball over high up the field because you're effectively trying to defend a much bigger zone rather than dropping back inside your own 45 because then you just make the pitch very, very small, pack it with numbers and there's very limited space for the opposition to play in. And you have to ha- you probably have to have the ability to do both because you want to keep pressure on the ball high up the field to slow the point of the attack to hopefully get turnovers. But if you don't get those turnovers there, then at least you've slowed up the attack and you're getting your numbers behind the ball and you're making it very difficult for teams to score against you and certainly to score goals. So, I mean, look, Mayo, we know exactly what Mayo are going to to bring to the table in terms of their aggression, style of play that they want to do. But, I mean, the, the amount of goal chances that Tipperary created against is um, is would have to be a significant concern for them going into play Dublin. And also, at times, I thought, like, in the second half particularly, was they were too slow on the cover in the way that the Dublin defenders aren't. Dublin defenders are more than happy to leave their own direct opponent to snuff out the danger if somebody's heading for Yeah. Whereas Oshin Mullen allowed a Tipperary player run straight past him and kick the ball into the net. Uh, Barrett was... For, very, fee, for the fee and yeah, goal. for the yeah. fee and goal, sorry. And then Barrett was very, very slow getting across the cutoff Ben Maher that time and he, he possibly could have ended up giving away a penalty and getting a black card. So, I mean, like, they, they've... The gaps are there and Mayo at times were just a little bit slow to, to fill them from a defensive perspective. No, I will completely agree. And James Horan said after the game, he says, we'll look at that for sure. He loved, but James Horan just loves saying for sure. Um, in the second half as well, he said the game was gone and maybe we got a bit lackadaisical for a while and gave away a few goal chances. Now, they did that in the first 10 minutes too. So he said, we have a huge amount defensively I think we can have a look at. Try and tighten up a little bit. A good bit, I would say. He says, I'm pretty sure we can do that. Now, Conan, the worry for Mayo, I will. I do take the lackadaisical. Jesus, there were 20 points up at one stage. The game was over. Can yeah. you, you know, you'd have forgive them for switching off a little bit. But what I would worry is that the long diagonal ball got them, gave them an awful lot of trouble. And we know Dublin can use that very, very well. And the in the second half, the pressure Tipperary put on Clark's kickouts and actually got goal chances from winning those kickouts and running straight at them. And we know Dublin are great at that as well. So I would say tighten up a little bit, James Horn. I would say you have a lot of kind of work to do defensively. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like the, yeah, the kickouts are something that, you know, we, we've talked about a long time. I and mean, you could hear the the volume of the Tipperary bench, you know, targeting those kickouts. Like that was one difference. See, the Cavan and Dublin game was very quiet. Like, you know, I could hear it in the TV for the Mayo Tipperary game. Like everyone was, was animated Everybody had a plan. They were all targeting something. That that diagonal ball as well, something that I didn't think Mayo would be susceptible to. But like again, it's hard to mark a good diagonal ball. The, the, this is where I love the. I get really excited about that heavy metal football analogy, though, is because like for six seasons now, like there, there's no way of stopping Dublin. They're getting through whatever whatever you tried to do. So maybe like maybe James Horn has has calculated this and thought, you know what, we just need to score. And we need to score loads yeah. and hope that that pressure up the field and no scores up the field 
and then combine with some good defenders back there will be enough to get over the line because we've tried enough other ways and everybody else has tried enough other ways for, for now. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, I mean, you look at it, the heavy metal foot, football and Tipperary could have had those three goals. And say if Mayo go after Dublin in a big way after the first 15 minutes, they got two, three to a point up. You know, there's something to, to hold on to. Whereas if you're just containing, you're not going anywhere. Like, I mean, Kevin just tried to contain Dublin. They didn't offer them any... Well, I won't say they tried to contain them, but they tried to beat Dublin at a running game, um, Keen. Like, I mean, I was going 20 minutes it took before they gave a ball into Galligan, who was marking Davy Byrne. And for me, that's an obvious, you know, advantage. And they had Connor Madden in there who was coming in and out, didn't know where he was going. And poor Thomas Galligan came out because he didn't know where he was going because he just wasn't getting the ball. First long ball after 20 minutes into Galligan. You contrast that with Tipperary, who had a plan to come in and maybe target weaknesses Mayo had and then the, the next long ball I wouldn't even call it a huge ball but it was a diagonal it was a it was a ball in I think by Martin Riley into Connor Madden from a free and Johnny Cooper who is there for to take in if you ask me whenever you get it in early he fouls him and it was a free right in front of the goal it's unforgivable Keen, that this is not the tactics and 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 what's more they brought back a forward as a sweeper. Like, who the hell does that now? You have enough in your centre half back. Let his man on, someone else to pick up your man and let him sweep. So what they did was they brought Chris Conroy back as a sweeper. They left Owen Merchant as the Dublin sweeper. Owen Merchant, the very first player. No offence to Owen Merchant, he's a brilliant player. He's the very first player I'd be targeting in that Dublin full back line to say, can we get a little bit of joy off him maybe in the air or, or some way? Merchant and Johnny Cooper in the full back line. And you're deciding not to kick it in. You're deciding to take Dublin on in a running game. Try run into Fenton or run into Kilkenny or run into Howard or any of these lads. You see the chests on them. You're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, well, I think that's partly what happened to Cavan. I'm sure they had fantastic intentions of doing certain things, but they they struggled very much to break the line and get territory. Like even Grod McKernan there, and I know he's been picked up by James McCarthy, but everything that he's doing, he's, mo- he's moving back to take the hand pass off the ball carrier and he's always moving away from the Dublin's goal going laterally across the pitch, you know, didn't have the ability to make those driving runs because what happens is, and, you know, we've mentioned this before, lads get the ball first and they they go to take on a man and they feel the strength and the power and the pace and they think, oh, you know what, I'm not going to be able to do it today on this fella. And all of a sudden then that completely changes how the team plays because nobody's willing to take the chance of taking contact because... Are too worried about getting turned over, and that's what happens on several occasions. So it's about being a little bit clever in terms of the way they shift the Dublin defender around and a bit of movement. And you know, maybe I I, t- I often think that you know you need to bring your goalkeeper into the game a significant amount when you play Dublin because if Dublin are going to press man to man and you can't beat them one on one physically, well then you need an overload, you need an overlap, you need a spare player, and your goalkeeper. There's no point in him standing fifty yards behind you. He needs to get involved in the play create those overlaps and to engage Dublin players and, and, and allow you to get a little bit of territory up the field. And then also at times, I mean, as you correctly point out, Johnny Cooper would be one that opposing teams should be trying to target as close to, as close to goal as possible because he does, he, you know, he's struggling to, he, he struggled on several occasions when he's tested. When you look at the stature of Owen Merchant as well, I mean, the obvious thing is that you try and get a guy with a height advantage on him and you bring him in as close to goal as possible. And that just requires different players to, to move around to, to create that opportunity. It maybe it requires somebody drifting in late into the 
play to do it. Now, Dublin are very well organised and they communicate brilliantly on the field. And I'm sure they'd have that sorted out. But you might get one ball where it works or you might get a couple. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with putting four or five players into the pull forward line and leaving them up there if that's what you want to do. And then you can launch the ball. I mean, we're not saying these things are going to work every single time, but they might work once. You might only have to do them once or twice. And, you know, you get you get a score every... You, you, get, you get a bit of territory at the very least because... When you come up against Dublin, to try and beat them and run the ball the full length every single time is extremely difficult. So you need it, yeah. you need to come up with clever things. But not every let's face it, not everybody has the tools at their disposal to to enact some of the wide ranging strategies that I'm sure loads of people have thought of and tried to implement. But it's it's much more difficult when you're actually trying to do it against the Dubs. Yeah, but well, like I mean, Tipperary managed to do it against Mayo because I actually think, as David Power said after the game, that they that's what they they targeted tactically. There's no evidence to suggest Conan, and, and I take the point it's hard against Dublin and all that kind of thing. Cavan had enough possession from midfield up that if their tactic was to get in some diagonal balls to Madden and to Galligan, that we would have seen them, and we didn't see any of them. Like I mean, tactically, it it was a bit of a, a shambles from Cavan. Well, well, that's it. Like, and I would. There's definitely an element of that because you, you end up just reacting to what Dublin are doing, and you can you can see it with their their physicality and stuff. Like, it, it does just drag teams into a place that they don't want to be. But like the, the Madden thing is is probably the most telling because like they brought him in, like we were saying, do it, bring Madden in from the start, put the ball in on top of him and Galligan, like test out. Like you're right. I think like Cooper has been phenomenal throughout his career, but I think he's there to be gotten at nowadays and. Like Madden ended up playing out around midfield, drifting into defence, and it was like, what was the point of playing him? Like, you know, not even when they turned the ball yeah. over did he go back inside. There was like Dublin were ready, like they, they they were prepared for Cavan to give him some sort of onslaught because the first couple of balls, Galligan went inside, and like Brian Fenton was dropping back when he could. They were they were they were ready and waiting for this, but when it didn't happen. Like Dublin just became a bit more relaxed, and after a while, and maybe maybe it was because of how the game was going, and they got tired and whatever else. But Kevin were winning the ball, and nobody was ahead of it the whole first half. It was just Marty Riley standing inside on his own, and and that was it. And then, like apart from Kieran Brady, like I mentioned, like everyone else was afraid because they probably felt the strength of them. They all just pulled back, and and like Gary McKiernan, I'm sure we'll talk about him, but he sort of personified it, like where he was just going around the outside, hand-passing the ball. He wouldn't even look at James McCarthy, who was putting him under pressure. But McKiernan, like, we, we need him to have a big game. And he wouldn't even just square up and try and go at him one time. And, and that went through the whole team. Yeah, I thought that McCart- we, I, we suggested McCarthy or uh, suggested McCarthy would mark Rod McKiernan. I was looking at the RTE briefly, they were saying McCarthy would mark uh, Tomas Galligan. He was just perfect for Rod McKiernan and he put him in his pocket. And you're right, Rod McKiernan didn't want to take him on. One other thing about Chris Conroy going back as a sweeping, he, sweeper, he was a desperate sweeper. Fenton got a point early where he just took on Rod McKiernan and all he had to do was take him on. And he was true for a point. Uh, Killian McDade, the same thing from the same side. No sign of Chris Conway, <laughs> Chris Conroy whatsoever in this end. And then he got two balls and kicked them out over sideline. He was gone at half time. Like tactically, give me a break. If you're playing a sweeper, he has to come out and engage those two players who who have beaten their direct opponents. So, like, I mean, there was a there was a lot of mess. And Mickey Graham said after the game, he says we talk about the quality of players that Dublin have but their work ethic is excellent. When they didn't have the ball, how quickly they wanted to get it back. That's what we need to get into our game and every other team before us. That work ethic, that intensity. I would say, Jesus, you if you need Dublin to show you that getting the ball back high up the field, you know, is is a is a positive, well then you'd have to be very worried about a comment like that. But one 
one uh, passage in the game was for a Dean Rock point in the second half, uh, Kieran Kilkenny. Like he tackled Killian Clark, who's a big monster of a man as well. Kilkenny, Kilkenny felt the contact of Kilkenny. Killian Clark ended up slipping. And then uh, Bugler came running in where the ball had fallen on the ground and he picked it up and he ended up uh, setting up uh, Dean Rock for a point. And I was just thinking, like, for, when it comes to pressing Keane, and it's always the point that a good press is ne- every man has a man, that's fine. But you have to wait until one of your players gets hands on and starts scrubbing at the man. Say, use Killian Clark as this example. Now Killian, Killian or Kieran Kilkenny has him under pressure. Now I'm leaving my man to join him where we can actually get a proper turnover and we, we'll dispossess him. Whereas if you, every man stays on their own men, it's not a press. It's only a press if you have the strength in your body to hold up and, and stop your direct man. And the minute you have him on the back footer or stopped, that's when whoever's closest to you needs to abandon their press on their men and say, look, we have, you know, we have them here, Keen. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we talk about the organisation of the press in terms of condensing the space that you have to defend from as a forward unit. Like you regularly see Dublin players that if, for example, um, Cavan were working the ball out in the right half back position, like Niall Scully won't just stand on the the opposite side of the pitch 100 metres away if his man is there he'll drift in field a little which allows play which yeah. allows everybody to drift across enough you know so it's a we, we talk about it being man to man and yeah there are certain players tagged once they're within playing zone of the ball or if they're in central areas of the pitch but aside from that it's a zonal drift defence and then when the ball gets transferred they drift across again they use the sideline as an extra defender and they're forcing teams they're trying to force teams down the wings and not let them down through the middle I mean some of this stuff is fairly basic for for teams that have been working on it for a while and they just get into the habit of it but they, they you're right you can't you can't just expect every player one on one to just do the job a second man has to get in a third man has to get in and that's what Dublin do what they want to do yeah. is where they have the strength in numbers they force a team down that avenue and then they go and take the ball off them like how many times do we see a Dublin corner forward and say he's chasing down the wing after a man although they generally are they don't get caught too often but they, they won't they won't really go on a full sprint to get in front of that uh, opposing player. They sort of jog along or they, they hover just slightly behind them so that when they meet the next Dublin defender going forward or the players that are drifting across to block off the zone, you have no avenue. You can't turn back because if you put the brakes on to turn back, you're turning straight into another back. So they, they have it really well in terms of, like Conan had mentioned about Mayo, getting that body position right. And it's about as well as Johnny Giles uh, has a great one when he talks about. Um, Good, good players. They they give you two. They give you two decisions: a bad decision or a worse decision. And that's that, that's <laughs> what happens to uh, to these players when they're up, when they're in possession of the ball. When they have their head down, they solo down a little bit aimlessly. A lot of the time, I, I put a lot of it down to bad play of the individual player on the ball, um, because you should never really get swallowed up by three men. Barry, you pick up break a ball in the middle of the field. Like uh, there was an incident where the. Um, Having right half back, picked up the ball in his own corner back position. I think we kick out under no pressure, soloed forward 30 or 40 metres and ended up running into three double defenders and having the ball taken off him. Like that, these are unforgivable mistakes. But what happens is because Dublin are continually putting you under pressure for the whole game, getting, you know, forcing you to make hard decisions all the time and use up an awful lot of energy to, to, at any territory on the pitch, you start to make more and more mistakes as the game goes on. And then Dublin are primed then really go with the fast break because they have the numbers there. It's a number of little quick hand passes and and they always have guys who are absolutely bursting a gut to get on the end of a move. So they have it, they have yeah, it well, always. 
They, oh, they do. There's no doubt. They actually watching parts of the game the other night, uh, Conan. Like the Dublin press wouldn't have been as intense as Mayo's, for example. And Dublin were quite boring at times to watch. Like I mean, it looked like rugby at times, where you go through the phases, get hands on, let's recycle it over back. We know what Dublin do, and what they do is like you, they almost hand pass you into boredom where you're almost losing interest in it and then bang before you know it there's a really incisive run an incisive hand pass and now everything's opened up you know and the amount of times you see that where they're going over and back and over and back and they're just waiting for someone and they're maybe waiting for the defense to switch off and maybe get as bored of this as maybe I am watching it (laughs) and now bang there's a run gone in behind you Kilkenny's gone from the centre half forward position and he's broken goal side of his man and the hand pass has gone over the defender's head and now you know now we're bearing down on goals and it's probably it's coming from the top as well because you know the the one thing you can hear from the Dublin bench is just what what you're, you and Keane are talking about there it's it's two on one like and that's that's in a defensive position like so once the Dublin bench can sniff that there's a chance like say Kieran Kilkenny stops Killian Clark um, you'll hear, I don't know who it is, but you'll hear the roar, just two on one, two on one. And then that's when Bugler just switches on. He has to get in. And, and outside that, there's, there's not a lot of vocals coming from the bench. And it's it's just like, right. they know now all the percentage plays. We'll go down this channel. And if it's not on, we'll come back out. And we'll go down that channel. And if it's not on, we'll come back out. And like, I assume that they're just reacting as well because they're bringing men forward. The other team's bringing men back. So they're just going through the motions now of getting into the... The percentage play and it, it like it's funny like we call it boring but it's it's exactly I suppose what they'd want because nobody is ever doing anything risk adverse like they're just all past like it's, it's it's amazing how happy they are even like you know when you see John Small forward it's like oh he's got a chance to score it's like yeah but it's not it's not a hundred percent chance of scoring so he'll just throw it back to somebody else in a better position knowing that in the next 30 40 seconds the better position will open up so yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's funny that we call it boring. It's like it's probably more so as well that you're sort of hoping that it'll be a bit tighter or they'll they'll get it a bit harder and they, they never do. Yeah, and is there a better player ever on the loop than Dean Rock? Like, I mean, he's like you you look at Con or Kilkenny, they'll go for that incisive run and it'll have to be a good hand pass. Remember James McCarthy was just soloing down the wing and Kilkenny made a lovely run in behind his man infield and then the hand pass went diagonal and now Kilkenny's in and Martin Riley saved on the line. Kilkenny gave another one to Khan who was in only for a good tackle, you know, from Faulkner. Dean Rock will never make that incisive run really inside. Dean Rock's waiting on the outside to come back around you if, you know, if that hand pass doesn't work and he's swinging it over. Like, I do think there's a lot of basketball, um, a lot of basketball coaching from Jason Sherlock needs to be credited with this ability, which obviously like Keane is the whole basis of basketball being kind of stuck in a in a in a difficult situation and having to figure your way out of it through good through good passes and incisive angled runs yeah and I think that's a huge thing like Jason Sherlock in fairness to him was his movement as a player himself was absolutely superb he was he was always on the move creating you know numerous runs every time he was shown for the ball magnificent at it himself and there's no doubt about it the thing one of the things that separates Dublin, like, look, in general, they pretty much do everything better than everybody else. But their movement out of, out of, uh, sorry, off the ball when they have possession is absolutely phenomenal when you compare it to other teams. So often um, you see matches and, you know, Dublin are out of possession and they're defending. And the movement from the opposing teams forwards is just, they don't create space well for themselves. They don't selflessly try to drag two or three Dublin defenders out of the way to isolate a one-on-one or to open up a side of the field by dragging Dublin defenders away. Dublin are consistently doing this. They're always doing it. They'll drag players 
you know, into a tight zone down into the corner, then recycling the ball across to the open side. But they're all doing this as a collective. It's not one player doing it as an individual. And, you know, Gooch made a very good point on the Sunday game last night where he's talking about that scoring zone um, where players are, you know, they make a run into that zone. And if they're, if they're not an option for possession, they're out of there again. So they're always... Uh, conscious of creating scoring, the scoring zone for their teammates. It's not about always getting their own scores. They have the hunger to get on the end of the move and get their own scores, of course. But when they see it's not on for themselves, they immediately move away. They make a different run. They drag a defender away. And it's just it's very, very hard for opposing teams to defend against that. And it's a, it's a huge difference that you can see that other teams don't do it to Dublin. And it, at times it makes the defending for the Dublin team slightly easier because they're not being actually asked at times certain hard questions by being dragged into positions that they don't want to be dragged into. It can be just quite static. Like It's as if Dublin are so patient when they have possession that they're more than happy, like Donegal, they could hold on to the ball for five minutes to wait for the right opportunity. Whereas most other teams start to almost panic if, they, if, they're, if they're holding on to the ball for more than... Um, a minute or two in play. And look, maybe that's a reflection of the fact that most times teams are very far behind against Dublin and it just becomes a a downward spiral where they're chasing the game and they're trying to force things then instead of continuing to do the right things and create the opportunities. And look, it's, it's a very difficult puzzle to solve, but it's definitely one thing that Dublin do really, really well that other teams could definitely look at improving significantly themselves. Yeah, no, exactly. Right, we'll leave it there, lads. We'll come back with performance of the weekend. Is the little dink fist pass from a crowded area into that D we're at home by where Bernard, I've talked to Bernard about Bernard's very patient. But this little dink ball, you know the one in a crowded area where it's a fist pass, the weight is taken over, hits the ground and it bounces into a fella's chest, and there's consternation then in around the D and in around that area. Watch for this in the semis in the final. Do you know the one I'm talking about? That little fisted ball that's just bound in a in a crowded area, but it gets to the, the yeah, body. You, you have said it three times. It's in around it. But you're looking at me. You're looking <laughs> well, out at me. Of a crowded area, isn't exactly. it? You're looking at me with such a confused <laughs> a confused head in you. It's like I was talking about you trying to get a point in coppers or something there. In a crowded area. Yeah. Watch for it. All right, lads, so performance of the weekend. We have two nominations here, and these are the two players that are in running for Player of the Year, Killian O'Connor and Brian Fenton. I think if anyone wins Player of the Year outside of these two, you'd be shocked. I suppose it will all depend on who wins the All-Ireland. Um, Killian O'Connor, you'd have to start off with, lads, 4-9, a new record. I'm fairly sure Rory Gallagher had that. Um, Killian scored 4-9. Rory Gallagher scored 3-9. I um, think he had the record. Um, already in a championship match, which is phenomenal in itself. But 4-9 in a game, lads, in- absolutely incredible. And, like, I mean, you look at his second goal, and I thought that was the one that stood out for me because, like, I mean, he's cutting in along the end line and a Tipperary defender. Now, I'm sorry about the Tipperary defender because it was foggy and I couldn't make out who it was. But he's running down at pace and makes contact with Killian O'Connor Keane, and he just bounds it off him. You know, like, I mean, this, 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 the strength of him, and James Horn said all year he's been sharp. His body is in great shape. He's flying. He's a real leader up there and, we're, and obviously delighted um, with how he's playing. I don't know. You just kind of think Killian O'Connor has maybe brought his, I don't know, strength and conditioning, for example, or his fitness or he's gone injury free. I'm not too sure what to put it down to. Well, I think the long break in the season probably significantly helped Killian because he's been struggling with injury for a number of seasons and he's probably been trying to almost patch himself back together to get himself onto the field. And he's had a, probably a prolonged opportunity with no games this year to 
fully focus on on looking after his own physical sort of well-being and conditioning and he definitely is moving significantly sharper across the ground than he has been in previous seasons and you know if, if you're struggling with any sort of groin injuries you know in general that's what a lot of free takers can suffer from groin and hip problems you know that can definitely restrict your mobility and like that and, and your confidence in your own body then so um I'm sure he's he's reaping the rewards of that long break and fair play to him because he's got himself you know he's always been in excellent condition but in terms of just having that extra you know that extra few percent of being injury free and you know he was so so sharp the other day I mean my fa- my favorite score was actually the one where it was the goal chance saved and it spun back out and he just chipped it up off his right foot and clipped it over off his left I mean like that is the sign of a player who's just so sharp, such a difficult skill. The ball was running away from him. He's coming at it from an angle, you know, slippy conditions. It was just magnificent. And his finish for his goal in the second half was absolutely superb. Like, he just, it was a, it was an incredible performance from him. Incredible performance. There's no doubt about it. It's funny enough, his first, because we spoke on the show last week, Eamon Dunne, who had done that piece in the in the Irish Times, Conan, about the work rate of their full forward line. And his first goal, which was a real handy one for him, was Tommy Conroy getting a, a little hand in out near the top of the D. The ball breaking to Aidan O'Shea. Tommy Conroy not just happy with dispossessing the man, had dispossessed the man and, and now had run towards goal. Aidan O'Shea passes it to him. And Tommy Conroy, like, I mean, I don't think you can even stress how well he did there because at first... Killian O'Connor, that pass isn't on. He waited until it was on. And there were so many options for Tommy Conroy in that situation, in that, will I fist it over the bar? Not going to do that. Will I kick it over the bar? You know, Killian O'Connor sometimes, will I give it to him too quickly and now a defender flicks it away? You know, he just waited till the perfect moment until it was actually the easiest goal Killian O'Connor will ever score. And that was probably the thing that impressed me most with Mayo. Like, just even Aidan O'Shea getting that ball initially and just smelling blood, thinking we can go for goal here. Like, normally you could just cut that over, get a handy score, reset. But but no, like, the, the goal's on. That let's, let's go for it. Tommy Conroy, as you say, like, played it perfectly. But if you look at like even just like we're, we're talking about Killian O'Connor like that that one you talked about going straight in somebody bouncing off him then the one that came into the left footer finish where he drifts in behind the defender but not only that yeah the player on the ball is thinking yeah let, let's let's go for it we'll go in behind and just that variation of like lethalness that, that Mayo were bringing and every time thinking how can we most hurt Tipperary here and like yeah O'Connor just looks like he's um Almost like I look at Paddy Small sometimes and think he just looks so comfortable in his body, the way he's just bursting through tackles. He, he solos back and then just drives through the tackle, usually two tackles. And O'Connor looks like he's really happy physically, like, and he, he looks so energetic. And yeah, he definitely looks a lot more um, mobile, is the wrong word, but just looks more comfortable in himself. And uh, I thought that that goal, like where he nipped in front of the keeper, summed that up as well, just the amount of energy he brought. And it was like, you talk about a perfect hat trick, it was a perfect foursome because he. Great finish off his right, great finish off his left. Palm goal from a hand pass and a palm goal from an interception. You're not going to get better than that. Is there an argument here, and I'm playing devil's advocate, uh, Keen, to say that he's a flat track bully where he destroys teams um, like Leitrim and like Tipperary when Mayo are winning well, but come up against Dublin and he, he might struggle? Yeah, well, look, at it's 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 a fair comment and it's a fair question to ask. Um I suppose, in my view, Killian has always done as well as could be expected of him against against even against the top teams. He's always given his, you know, given it to his opponent in terms of physicality and effort and cause problems for them. And like, let's not forget, he scored a magnificent equalising point against Dublin. I think in an All Ireland final. Yeah, you know, sensational score. It's just you don't you don't obviously get that sort of platform or space that you know 
that he played against the like Dublin. But let's not forget he scored, I think, for 3-4 against Donegal in the All-Ireland quarter-final uh, or semi-final one year as well. So, I mean... Yeah, they hammered him, though. They ham- it was they did, in a hammering. Yeah, they did, but I, I think you have to look at the time he gets these scores. I mean, if, if he's running in two or three goals when the game is over at the end, you can maybe say something like that. But I, I'd be reluctant to say that because I, it takes a different kind of mentality continue continue to try and get scores when the game is over he was like he's a ruthless operator and I think he deserves a bit of credit for that yeah no and I, I agree like I mean he scored the goals in the first half Conan when the, the game was in the melting pot and his second goal had like there was defiance in that when that hit the net he went to boot it into the net a second time like and, and kind of celebrated it like if you're telling me the players out the field don't look at that and go Jesus Killian's on, Killian's on it here now today I, I do take the point of when you score the goals because hammering doesn't matter if you score your two or three goals when they're really needed in the first half you know, it's unfair for me to put it down to a hammering, I suppose. Well, that's it. Like, and he is the reason that they hammered him as well. You know, um, if, like if you take away his scores and then do you look at him more kindly because he scored two, three in a game that was a bit tighter? No, he scored four, nine and buried them. Like, you know, and, and you're right. Like that was a great, a great moment as well. This where he, he booted that ball and clenched his fist and he, he just shouted, come on. Like we're, we're not finished here. And like, Again, like I know I get excited. I, I look for anybody who can compete against Dublin, like you know, but I just yeah. I love that ruthlessness and like we're not done. Like what, what would Dublin do in this situation? They would just go after the next ball and they would hammer them and hammer them and hammer them and that's that's what Killian O'Connor's trying to do. Yeah, it definitely was. I don't know, Mayo's performance has got me giddy for the final now. I'll fall into the trap of hyping it up and, you know, for it all to come falling down um, around me again. Brian Fenton, lads, outstanding the other night. She's at his ease, really. 31 possessions, four points from play. You know, like, I mean, he's a Rolls-Royce of a player. There's no doubt about that. He has no weaknesses to his game. He's left foot, he's right foot. He's unbelievably, deceptively fast. He can kick scores. He gets the work in. You know, he's dominating in the air where to the point where teams have to keep it the other side of him. He's flawless, really. And he's a complete gentleman on top of it. Like, I mean, there's absolutely nothing dislikable about him. He doesn't get involved in nonsense, plays the game in the right way. You'll often see him smiling, you know, during the game. And he's just a joy to watch, Keith. There is nothing I can fault in Brian Fenton in any way, shape or form. No, well, I don't know him on a personal level, but he comes across as an awful decent fella. Um, no, look, he's a, he's a hell of a player. And look, I mean, he's... He's probably in the realm. It's it's sort of a mad mad thing to say because he's you know he still has so much time left in his career. But he's possibly the greatest player to ever play Gaelic football. I mean, in terms of his certainly in terms of what he's going to win by the time he finishes, he's going to be the most decorated player in terms of success. Um, and nobody has been able to touch him. He's basically, uh, with the exception of maybe Jack Barry in one or two games, been able to run with him and physically challenge him. I mean that's yeah. that's about it. Every other every other player he's pretty much come up against, he's just walked all over them with consummate ease. Players can't compete with him in the air, they can't compete with him on the ground, they can't stop him from scoring his two or three points or his goals or setting up other scores. And you know, and they can't challenge him by getting two scores themselves the other way. So I mean like he's he's an absolutely awesome, awesome player. And I suppose he makes James McCarthy at times look like an ordinary footballer because he's playing beside him and you're like, Jesus Fenton is just unbelievable. And James McCarthy is probably probably second to Fenton, you know. So it's um it's just unbelievable what he what he is continuing to do. Uh, just game in, game out, just sensational player. 
Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. Like, I mean, you look at it, he's never lost a championship game, uh, Conan, and I suppose their five in a row has coincided with his introduction um, to the team, you know? And like, even, I know you don't know him personally, Keen, and I don't know him personally either. I've met him a couple of times socially, and he's a terrible nice fella. Like, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. There's nothing that you could ever say against him. And then he was interviewed on Sky and he spoke eloquently about Cavan and how they held themselves after the Ulster final win. Now gave out the, the usual, you know, it was a very tough game or, you know, we, we were worried about a, a really big challenge here, which didn't materialise. And then he paid tribute to Mick Galvin, whose mother had passed away. He's a selector on the team and he dedicated the win to her. Like, I mean, is there anything this man can't do? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Like him and... um. Kieran Kilkenny were, were very nice. They, they did a, a, a banquet dinner for my club back home and they went up. And it's funny, like, everybody since has just been raving about Brian Fenton. <laughs> it's like, well, hey, lads, Kieran was up there as well. Like, you know, but everyone's just going on about what a what a great guy Brian Fenton was and how good crack he was. And, um, and like, yeah, like, he is right to ask as well. He could, he could be the greatest player to ever play. Like, I've been... Yeah, well, no, that's... It's, he's 27. Now, I think he can be. I think to say it now is, you know... You know, it's getting carried away a little bit, but I, there is no doubt when he's finished playing that there's a, if he stays injury free, like, I mean, gee, he'll be the most decorated player and most dominating midfielder to ever play the game. I've no problem saying that, but he is only 20, he is only 27. Yeah, like, I suppose I, I just mean sort of in terms of like, and I know like a lot of other things come into it and longevity and stuff, but just in terms of what he can do, like, and you, like you say, he can do everything. And I've been unfortunate enough to come up against him. I would say fortunate, but like, I've never seen somebody who is so strong and so good in their feet. Like, he's completely nimble. He just goes by. It's hard to get a hand on him. And even if he did get a hand on him, sure, what, what use would it be? Because he's got all that power as well. Like, it's it's honestly, it's a joy to watch him play. And he's never bloody injured as well. Like, that's that's the other thing. He just He's just there dominating in midfield, game in, game out, year in, year out. And I, he's 27. I can't see him going away for the next five years. Yeah, you've missed a trick there now. I thought you'd say, can you kick a 45 like Anthony Toho? <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought Anthony Toho's just off. Like, I thought <laughs> we'd just put him in a different category and then talk about everybody else. Yeah, yeah. No, look, there's no doubt. There's no doubt he's absolutely... I'd like to see him just bring a dummy solo into his repertoire, Keen, and then, look, we'll have the we'll have the full package. But I think he's too much of a gentleman to make a fool out of somebody with a, with a, with a dummy solo. The real test of Brian Fenton is to transfer to Leitrim and see, can he win the All-Out? <laughs> can he do it on a wet Sunday in, in Carrick and yeah, Shannon? That's exactly the big question. That's the real question. Know? We've never seen it. We've never seen it. <laughs> All right, lads. I want to finish with their... You know, I mean, performance of the weekend has to go to Killian O'Connor, lads. That's freakish scoring I don't care who it is if I was on the team and we won by 40 points I'd be lucky to get bloody five from play he's scoring four nine like I mean it's just it's freakish and to be able to you know have the ability to score that no matter what this is an all-earned semi-final as well it has to be said like I mean no matter who you beat in an all-earned semi-final and to be fair I know hindsight is great but we were billing this up as a, in a, a very close game you know and he scores four nine in it and contributes to not a close game at all to a hammering so there's no doubt um he deserves that Awful performance the weekend has to go to the LGFA, the Ladies Gaelic Football Association. Um, like, I mean, this is just a complete mess. And it's always funny. You see um, the GEA always getting the blame for LGFA mess ups. So what happened here was the Cork Galway game was originally fixed for Limerick. Um, I think Limerick pulled rank then and wanted to train on the in the Gaelic grounds before the week for the All-Ireland final, as is their right. Um then it was moved to Parnell Park, which is fine. Then there was an inspection that morning. Um, I think it was 11 o'clock the decision was made for a half-one game. And I suppose instead of calling the game off, the decision was made to move it to Croke Park. 
Um, the, the game was supposed to be televised and it wasn't going to be able to be televised in Croke Park. So I don't really understand why this game wasn't postponed for a week and played in Parnell Park or Limerick or wherever the week later on TV. Like, I mean, especially when you're at all in the semi-final stage. As it turns out, the decision was made to move it to Croke Park. Um, so Galway arrived in Croke Park at half 12 for the game at um, for the game at half one. It was originally supposed to be at one and I think it was put back to half one in Croke Park. So they're there uh, um, an hour before the game. So, like, I mean, they by the time they got into the dressing room, togged out, got their rubs done, got all their, their you know, whatever to do now, Conan, they're roll, rolling around in their foam rollers and got all that stuff done. They got out into the pitch. I think by the time they got out into the pitch and started their warm-up before they were being dragged by the officials, they got seven minutes of a warm-up on a freezing cold day, which is not good enough in any way, shape or form. Their manager, Tim Rabbit, said after the game, um, the minute we took the pitch, LGFA officials, referee straight away in our ear, six minutes, you've got six minutes to warm up. I don't want to sound like sour grapes, but that's the time we should have taken a stand. We should have just walked off the field. We shouldn't have continued until we had sufficient warm up in place. Yeah, like I'd say, I'd say like Tim Rabbit should never be in that situation anyway, right? It's, so it's it's terribly done the way it was all done and like rushing them through. And like uh, Marie Hickey's talking about player welfare. It's like you're not even letting people warm up. Like how far does your, your welfare concern yeah. <laughs> extend to? But I'd say if, if Rabbit was in that situation again, and I've actually been there before where I, I like felt the pressure from like a referee or the other team saying, no, no, we're doing this now. And I remember reading Jim McGuinness's book where like they're just doing everything in their own terms, like in their own time, and like the game's not going to start without them. So I'd say if he was in that position again, he'd be a bit stronger. But like he should never be put into that position or have to do it. And maybe that's a really bad byproduct as well of being a, a ladies' team where he feels like yeah he can be bullied and like you know you're lucky to be playing a crew park. Get on with it, like which again is is yeah. terrible. Sorry, just to make a, a, a correction to what I said there, um, the game was scheduled to take place at half past one in Parnell Park, but when it was moved to Croke Park, it was changed to one o'clock. So instead of arriving in Parnell Park um, an hour before the game, Keane, um, st- still leaving it a bit tight to be landing at a championship game and all around semi-final an hour before the game, you know, if anything went wrong. But when it was changed to Croke Park, Keane, and moved it a half an hour earlier to, you know, to um, allow the Tipperary... Uh, Mayo match later then they only had a half an hour to get tugged out get out in the pitch and get warmed up yeah look it's it's nobody covers themselves in glory in this particular debacle and that's what it was I mean it's an All-Ireland semi-final it's just it's extremely regrettable for all parties how it's how it kind of transpired and look what do you say? Your your heart goes out to the to the players involved, and you know the disappointment that they will feel. Just you know, feeling that they were a little bit robbed of a fair chance, if that makes sense. But um, look, what do you say? All you can hope is that they, they get their house in order, and you don't see a situation like this occurring again. Because there seems to be too many of these things with clashes of fixtures and different things. And it look just very very disappointing. Players feel, you know, you feel really sorry for them because they're put in obviously huge. And you know, putting a huge effort into it, they're emotionally invested in the whole thing, and for it to fall flat for them like that, you know, it's it's very disappointing for them. And look, hopefully, it doesn't happen again. That's really all I'd like to say about it. Yeah, like I mean, I suppose you see yesterday the GEA getting the blame for this because a lot of people don't understand that it's nothing to do with the GEA. The LGFA runs the the women's game, so this is their issue, and the LGFA don't even play their intercounty players' expenses. And often, re- even recently, Conan, this was being put down to gender inequality. 
when it has nothing to do with gender inequality. The LGFA can't afford to pay their players and that's wrong as well because they deserve expenses. And as far as I can see, the LGFA seem to be getting away with all sorts of messes because it's either the GA's fault, it's gender inequality, and the book doesn't seem to stop with them the whole time. And then their president, Marie Hickey, came out this morning and blamed Galway for the mess. She says they spent quite a bit of time in the dressing room and then emerged out onto the pitch. They would have, they would have had the opportunity to get out onto the pitch earlier had they not spent so much time in the dressing room. Like, I mean, did you ever hear, like, this is the president of the LGFA blaming Galway for their mess, for not rescheduling the game. And you've got a situation where you're landing to an all-earned semi-final and getting into the dressing room, you have to tog out, you have to get your gear on. Certain people have to get strapped. Certain people have to get um, rubs. Certain people have to do whatever, Conan, you can tell me, you know, the elastic bands crap that was never around <laughs> in my day. <laughs> whatever that old nonsense is that they all have to do now. All that stuff. And then to get out to the pitch, you know, at maybe 20 minutes later, and she's blaming them for not just throwing their gear down, putting on their, their their gear, not stretching, not doing any of that inside. And she's blaming them for making them get ready for an all-earned semi-final at the last minute on a half an hour's notice and not getting a warm-up before the ball was thrown, like getting a six-minute warm-up on a fr- on a day that was zero degrees. Uh, like, such such a disappointing line from her to take, like, you know, that's coming from the top of the LGFA as well. And I saw Peter Leahy in front of him was like trying to direct people in that uh towards the LGFA today like you were saying like they, they're the people we need to take out our, our anger at here and like it, it's very easy for people to use that sort of uh, gender inequality thing because the optics of it aren't great because like a team like Limerick are training at the Gaelic ground so therefore this game has to get moved from Limerick initially you know and then again what always happens and then this is why that that, that, that card it's not a card but that's why that sort of um thing gets played conclusion is reached conclusion yeah. is reached yeah is because it's it's the women in the middle of it yet again who are getting screwed over so like if you're a, if you're a player there who's ready to play an all in semi-final and it's like sorry the lads are training there like that is just that that's just awful for them like it's not the GA's fault it's not Limerick's fault but like it's terrible for them in the middle of it and yet again it comes down to the fact that the LGFA are their own their own like party and they're not involved with the GA and like it's always it's always the players in the middle of it who get screwed over yeah seems that way anyways we leave it there so performance of the weekend goes to Killian O'Connor and awful performance of the weekend I might start an awful performance of the weekend uh, thing here just to mix it up on a Monday <laughs> lad. so that goes that goes to the LGFA right we'll leave it there boys we'll be back it's Mayo in Dublin again four time this decade are we in this decade or are we now in a new decade new decade new decade oh we're in a new decade alright the four, t- four time in eight years then that they've met in the finals so look I'm, I'm looking forward to that we'll preview that um, next Thursday week and I'm sure we'll do a show on Thursday as well right we'll leave it there and we'll talk to you then good luck I'm not finished yet it took me a long time to get here both parents have have spoken with each other and uh, and they regret what happened they've had a frank discussion with each other and they're they're both keen to to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys but these fellas get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we put him back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years.